John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. If you're able to, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. John chapter number 13. And if you came in as a visitor this morning, hopefully you received one of the bulletins on the way in. There is uh, the, the uh, outline to the message this morning that is in the bulletin. You can follow along that way if you did not receive one of those. <clears throat> but we're so glad that you're here this morning. And I'm praying that the Lord will use the message. We've been going through this series on Sunday mornings on stop minding your own business, which is what we're good at. We oftentimes have our nose in not only our business, but other people's business. But this morning, we want to continue this thought to stop minding our own business and start minding the Father's business, uh, doing what God would have us to do. And we've been really just fixated on the life of Christ, what Jesus did, how he lived his life, because there's not a greater example for us as Christians than to follow the pattern that God's given us by his son. And I want to continue that, and you pray as uh, in the days ahead, uh, I, I forget exactly how many weeks, I believe it's maybe six weeks or something like that. It's hard to believe we're about six, seven weeks away from Easter. And uh, I'm, I'm praying that God will allow me, I always try to follow the Lord's leading, but I'm praying the Lord will allow me to, to take this series right into that, that last week that Jesus spent on this earth leading up to his crucifixion. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And then, of course, the Bible records that he was buried but it didn't end there, did it? Three days later, Jesus arose, and he is alive today. We serve a risen Savior, amen? And so you pray that as God directs me and leads me, that's, I believe that's the direction God would have me to go as we get closer to what we call it. You know, Easter's not about the bunny. If you think it is, you, you've, you've sadly mistaken what Easter's all about. Easter is about the resurrection and the life, Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a portion here that God led me to early this week. In John chapter 13, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the feet, the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save, 
to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye, ought, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happier are ye if ye do them. Let's read that last verse together, all right? If ye know these things, happier are ye if ye do them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you'd bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning. The Father's will. Stop minding our business and start minding the Father's. The Father's will is that you and I, as His children, that we would keep a low profile. Now, I know that goes against human nature because many times we want to be noticed. We want our names in highlights and and, and in neon lights, we want to be recognized, but yet God's way up is down. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to him as he was out in the wilderness, John the Baptist made the statement, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. I read a story about a famous preacher of, of old named Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody, as he was known. He was a famous evangelist in the late 1800s. During that time, people would come from around the world to attend a Bible conference in Northfield, Massachusetts to hear Moody preach. One year, there was a large group of pastors that had made their way all the way from Europe to this Bible conference, and they were among the attendees. They were given rooms in the dormitory of the Bible schools because they didn't have extra places to put them. So they put them in the dormitory of the students of the Bible school there. And as it was customary in Europe, but now they're in America, but in Europe, the men oftentimes would put their dirty shoes outside the door of their room. And then someone would come along and gather up their shoes and clean their shoes and polish their shoes and put them back outside the door. How many of you would like that if somebody did that with your shoes, right? And last night I was polishing my shoes. My wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm polishing my shoes. She said, I haven't seen you do that in a while. And I said, because it's been bothering me that my shoes are all scuffed up. But see, these men, they, it, that was a practice they were well aware of in Europe, but now they found themselves at this Bible conference in, in Massachusetts. And they expected that if they put their shoes out there, that they would be cleaned and polished during the night by some servant. Of course, because they were in America, there were no servants in the American dorm, and Moody noticed this. He was walking around, and this was the habit of Dwight L. Moody. He would walk through the hallways of those 
dormitories and he would stop outside those rooms and he would pray for those people that were in those rooms. He would pray for the conference. He would pray for God's power and he would pray for those guests that God had brought to him and brought to that conference. And as Moody was making his way around in the dorm, he was praying and he saw all these shoes and he remembered that these were preachers from Europe. Kind of interesting that he kind of got a burden because of what he saw with those shoes. And so he mentioned the problem that was transpiring to some of the Bible college students that were still there. And certainly Bible college students, like anyone else, should be preparing for a life of service. And so he mentioned to these students, thinking that maybe someone would take it upon themselves to to gather up those shoes and to polish those shoes and to clean them and put them back outside their door. But not one student offered to clean those shoes. Moody never said a word. He just, in his own way that night, went from hallway to hallway, gathered up the shoes, took them back to his room, spent all night polishing those shoes, and put them back outside the doors of all those pastors and those that were there from Europe. He never mentioned one word of it. No one knew that that famous preacher that stood in the pulpit the next day was the one who shined all of their shoes. When I think about this passage we read in, in John chapter 13 this morning, you have to put your mind at where God's word is because we pick up what we call a, a day in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting though is John chapter 13 is the last night of what we oftentimes call Jesus' earthly ministry. It was a night that was very eventful. There were a lot of things that took place this night. Jesus prayed that prayer as our high priest on that night, that last night of his earthly ministry. He taught his disciples many truths, one of them we're going to look at today, but many of these truths that would prove to be very valuable in their lives in the days ahead. One of the things that they did was they observed this Passover meal, this supper. We oftentimes call the Last Supper. By the way, if you've ever seen the depiction, many people have painted or tried to depict what this Last Supper was, the reality is because of the culture, they weren't sitting around a table in chairs. That's what you see many times when you see this picture. The truth is they were sitting around on the floor as was their custom, and it was quite different, but yet they spent time, and can I tell you that it wasn't about the meal, it was about the Lord that night. It was about him spending time with his disciples, his followers, those, those individuals that would eventually become the leaders of the church when Jesus was crucified, and of course, then 40 days later, went back to be with his father. But you find that there was one other thing that happened that night. I don't know if you picked it up in our passage, but it was also the night that Jesus was betrayed by one of those followers. Always amazes me when I read about how Judas was included by Jesus in the disciples. Many times I've thought about that. And although Jesus knew 
what was going to happen in the morning. And although Jesus knew that he was going to go to the cross and to a place called Calvary, the Golgotha, Gethsemane, and all those other places, Jesus knew that he would give his life before he began the events of that evening. Before they came to the table to eat this last meal, just Jesus and his disciples, Jesus takes the time to teach them one final lesson. It's an amazing lesson that God would have us to learn today. And it, it really is depicted in one verse in our Bible there in your outline in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45. The Bible says, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Did you see what the Bible says? Jesus didn't come into this world so that he could be waited upon. Jesus didn't come into this world so that he could be made over, and certainly he deserved to be waited on, and he deserved to be made over. Jesus came into this world to minister, to serve. Quite the opposite of what many people would have thought. Jesus leaves us a, a portrait here in John chapter 13. It's the kind of picture that God wants us to see because God's trying to tell us from the life of his son, Jesus, the kind of heart that we should have towards other people. Certainly, I thought about that this week. I thought about how humble Jesus was. I thought about myself, how many times I'm so filled with myself and so full of pride. But I see the humility of Jesus as a servant. And I want you to see a couple things about his life. Notice, first of all, the humble servant's work. You see, as I look in verse number one, the Bible says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Notice that humbly we see his love, that Jesus knew that his life was coming to a close. It was near the end of his ministry on this earth. He knew that he was about to go to the cross, and he knew all the pain and the suffering that he would go through for our sins, and he knew that the end was near, but his heart was still overwhelmed with love for his disciples. And the Bible says this, that he loved them till the end. You notice there that he loved them perfectly. His love was unconditionally. Jesus' love for his disciples, it was eternally. He loved them unto the end. His love never wavered. Even in the very deepest part of his life, when he was going through one of the greatest crises ever known to man, that Jesus still loved them till the end. I think about the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Aren't you glad God loves you today? God so loved the world. Folks, that's not our kind of love. That transcends our kind of love. You see, I find in, in, in this humble servant that we call Jesus, 
that we see his love, that Jeremiah said of that love, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Look, no matter what in your life is there, can I tell you this morning that God's love, it is something that loves us perfectly. God loves us unconditionally. God loves us eternally. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, he said this, he says, I am persuaded. He says here that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you get the ramifications of what Paul's saying? He says, look, it doesn't matter what I face in life and who faces me and what opposes me in life. He says, nothing will ever separate me from the love of God. And it's not because I love him, it's because he first loved me. See, he loves us unconditionally. He loves us perfectly. He loves us eternally. And I see his love, but notice, secondly, I humbly see his life. Because the Bible goes on in verse number 3, actually verse 2, the supper being ended, that the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. See, Jesus came. Listen, folks, if there's nothing else that you get a hold of this morning, that right there ought to give you uh, such joy and such hope in your heart that, listen, God could have stayed in heaven, but Jesus came. And the Bible says that he came from heaven and he came to this earth. He was the one sent from God. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and he became sin for us, the Bible says. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus had one purpose when he came into this world, and his purpose was that he would die for the sins of the world. The Bible says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who's lost? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us are lost in our sins. Jesus came for everyone, and when he died on the cross, he accomplished his purpose on behalf of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that's ever been born. The cross is the indisputable proof of the love of God for us. Romans chapter 5, when we were yet without strength, in due time, notice Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many of you could say amen to that this morning? See, listen, God didn't say to us, when you get your act together, when you get all your ducks in a row, when everything is exactly the way it should be, then I will save you. No, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's a lot of people today who believe that they can live a certain way, they can live a good life, they can do certain things, 
and everything will be okay. Can I tell you that every last one of us, there is nothing we can do to merit heaven. There is no life we can live. The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. Jesus came and he gave his life and he accomplished what we needed, and that was that we needed a Savior. And so we see humbly, we see the love that he has for us, and we see the life that he gave for us, but then notice, we see it humbly through his labor. The Bible tells us in these verses that as Jesus did the things that he did here in John chapter 13, that Jesus was actually performing that of what a slave would do. Now remember, he is Lord. He is master. And yet, what did he do? He humbled himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself here in these verses. You see, when you would go into someone's home in Bible times, you had to understand that they didn't have paved roads and sidewalks to walk on. There was the dust of the ground, and, and many times the, the, the shoes that they would wear, they were just some type of a sandal. Many times it would be some type of a piece of leather on the bottom to protect the bottom of their foot. And then there would be some maybe leather straps, and oftentimes we would think of sandals nowadays. These were very primitive type shoes, but they were open. And understand that when you walk around with open shoes on dusty roads that your feet are going to get dirty. And what would happen is you'd come into someone's home and you were to be, as you came into that home, the servant of that home would then help you to clean your feet so that you didn't track the dirt and the dust into the house. And, you know, sometimes you still see there are some people that uh, I've known, we've had friends in Hawaii and other places where when you come into their house, they customarily want you to take your shoes off when you come into their house. Anybody do that? Some people do that. Uh, we had some friends that actually had a, right inside the door, they had a closet. Many times where I grew up in the Midwest, that closet was a coat closet. You all know what coats are here in South Florida? It's something you put on when there's cold weather. Uh, most of you think it gets cold here. It doesn't get cold here. But, but nonetheless, these closets were where we, you would hang your coats. But I've known people that have a closet there. It's not for coats. It's for shoes. And see, these people would come in, and, and the, the, the servants, they would, they would maybe remove the sandals, and they would begin to take some water, and they would wash their feet. And it was considered, when you came into a home, it was actually considered uncivilized and, in, in, uh, uh, let me say it this way, not hospitable to not have someone to perform that, someone to wash their feet. Oftentimes it was frowned upon. And when you see this in John 13, where Jesus, the Bible says in verse number 4, he riseth from supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, girded himself, after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Isn't it interesting that there was no servant, apparently, uh, at this place, so none of the disciples picked up the towel and the 
basin in the water and began to perform this, Jesus did. So as we think about this, Jesus begins to uh, rise from the table. He, he, he takes off his garments. He begins to put on a towel. He, he begins to pour water in his basin, and he begins to wash the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples. I wonder how many of us would do that. Say, well, you don't understand how awful that would be. But yet Jesus did it. Now, I've been in some churches and I've heard people talk. And, you know, when we're, we're a Bible-believing church here at, at Bible Baptist Church. People ask sometimes, Pastor, why do you do this? And I'll show them in the Bible why we do it because of what the Bible teaches. And sometimes people say, why don't you do this? And I'll say to them, well, because we can't find that in the Word of God. One of the things that the Bible teaches is that there are two what is called ordinances in the Bible. An ordinance is something that is God put there. It's to help us to remember something. That's what the word ordinance actually means. Two of the ordinances, the only two that you find in the Bible, actually are the Lord's table, which was given by the Lord to the church, saved people. And the other one is believer's baptism, which was given by the Lord, that Jesus himself also was baptized and you see both of these. Now, why those two? Because both of them are a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So sometimes if you come on maybe a Sunday night or something, we might have, I think in another three, four weeks, we have, we're going to be remembering the Lord's table. And we have elements. Now, again, some people don't understand, and they have alcoholic beverages, and they have other things Again, the reason we do it the way we do is because of what the scriptures teach. So we'll have that. And, and so when you think about the juice, which is that's what it is, and you think about the bread, both of those are a picture. They're a, a type of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible doesn't teach us that when we partake of those elements, when we drink that juice, and we eat that bread that we're literally eating the body and blood of Jesus because last time I checked, that's called cannibalism. We don't practice that here at our church. But what we do is we remember the shed blood of Jesus Christ and we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ and that's what the Lord's table is all about. And Jesus said... Do this as oft as you will in remembrance of me. In other words, remember what I did for you when I went to Calvary. So the Bible doesn't tell us how many times, but what we do as a church is a couple times, maybe three, four, five times a year, because we don't want to become ritualistic in it. We, we want to remember what Jesus did for us. And so as a result of that, we will do that as a church family. It's a very beautiful time that we have as a church family and I hope that maybe sometime you could take part in that be a part of that that is for the members of our church this body of believers and that's the Lord's table now that's what they're celebrating or that's what they're it's the last supper here they're observing that time with Jesus before he went to the cross all right now the second ordinance is known as believers baptism if we had an opportunity right behind below this screen right back here in this area there is a baptismal pool. It's a small pool that 
Somebody can come down into it. There's water in it about waist deep. Maybe you've been here or another church where people are scripturally baptized. The Bible doesn't teach that one would be sprinkled because that's not in the Word of God. The Bible teaches that baptism, the word means to immerse, to put under, to plunge under. The Bible says Jesus went into the water, he went under the water, he came up out of the water. To baptize means to go completely under. Say, Pastor, why are you making a big deal out of it? Because the Bible does. Because the Word of God teaches that when somebody is scripturally baptized, they've already put their faith in Christ, and what they're doing is they're identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. When they stand in the water and they go under the water and they come up out of the water, it's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Now, some churches, and even Baptist churches, they practice a third ordinance, but it's not in the Bible. It's called foot washing. Foot washing does not teach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Foot washing teaches that we have dirty feet and they need to be washed. That's what it teaches. So when you think about what's happening here, Jesus is washing their feet. What an incredible scene as Jesus is washing not only the disciples, but remember, who's one of those disciples? Judas. Jesus washed all their feet, which included Judas. When I look at that in this passage, look at John 6, 64 in your notes. Here's what Jesus said. There are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. How many of you think God, how many of you believe Jesus is God? How many of you believe God knows everything? How many of you believe God knew, Jesus knew everything about Judas before Jesus asked him to be one of his disciples, right? And Jesus knew when and where and how Judas would betray him, and yet he humbly washed all of their feet. I want you to think about that this morning, because even though he knew what was in the heart of Judas, and he knew what Judas's plans were, he still loved him, and here's the best part. He actually offered many opportunities for Judas to get his heart right. That just shows you the, the love and the long-suffering that Jesus has with all of us. That he gave Judas an opportunity to repent before it was too late. And even at this point, it wasn't at this point too late for Judas to be saved. And Jesus, look, he loved Judas just like he loves all of us because he says, I love them to the end. And so I want you to think this morning along with me, not only the humble servant's work, which included his love and the life that he gave and the labor that he showed while he was on this earth, but then notice secondly, the humble servant's word. Because I see first of all that Jesus as a humble servant, that he had a word for Simon. And then interesting uh, I mean, some of you this morning might be able to relate with Simon. You know, Simon was the one that was always opening his mouth too quickly, right? Simon was the one that was always saying things. He was always running ahead of people. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. And isn't it interesting, out of all of them, I want you to look at verse number 6, because the Bible 
says, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Here's what I thought this week when I looked at that is, I thought to myself, well, there were 12 of them, right? Yes? He didn't start with Peter. Because the Bible says, then he came to Peter. Now, he might have started with one person and then went to Peter. He might, Peter might have been down the line a little bit. I don't really know. But I do know this, he didn't start with Peter. And the Bible records that, that Jesus has this word for Peter. Because as you think about this, Peter couldn't believe that the Lord wanted to serve him. I think to myself again about the song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. How marvelous that he loves us. Look, no one is too bad for the grace of God. And I see here that Peter was shocked that Jesus would serve him. But the Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I see the shock on Peter's face. I mean, he's like, he's, he says again in verse number uh, six, he says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus says, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And so I see his shock, Peter's shock. But then notice Peter's stubbornness in verse number eight. Because Peter says unto him, thou shalt, what's that next word? Thou shalt what? Never. Never. Somebody told me a long time ago, be careful about saying never. Never say never, people tell me. And what does Peter say to Jesus? I mean, it sounds to me like Peter's trying to be pretty stubborn. Peter says to him, he says in verse number eight, Lord, he says, thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus, here's the word to Simon. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter gives one of those, look, Peter would have probably been one of those students in school that the English grammar teacher would have hated. You know why? Because if you study that verse, verse number eight, when he says, he says about never wash my feet, it's actually in the original language, it's a triple negative. That's what he used. I mean, when Peter made that statement, here's, it, it, this is my best way to kind of put it into our understanding. He would have said something like this, you will never, no, never wash my feet. That's what he was really saying to Jesus. Now, how many of you know it's not good to say no to God? Right? That's not a good practice to get in the habit of saying no to the Lord. But he says, look, you can wash all these other guys. But he says, you're not going to wash my feet. And by the way, you're not only not going to wash my feet, you're never going to wash my feet is what he said to Jesus. And I see the stubbornness there on Peter's uh, mind and in his heart as he's really irreverent towards the Lord. Can I tell you that the first condition of being a disciple is obedience? I talk to people a lot of times, and I'm always glad. I, 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 it's a wonderful thing when a person comes to faith in Christ. Because the Bible says they pass from death unto life. Nothing like seeing somebody get saved. And when somebody gets saved, here's what, here's what I usually will do, and I do it because the scriptures teach this, 
I will say to them, and if you're here this morning and you are saved, and I pray that you are, a lot of times what I'll say to them is, listen, now that you are saved, the next step of obedience in the life of a child of God is that you would follow the Lord in believer's baptism. People look at me and they're, they're like, really? And I'll say, yeah, let me show you in the Bible. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Do you know, listen, I'm, this is biblical, okay? If you are saved this morning and you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, do you know that according to God's word this morning, you're being disobedient? Because God says, listen, you need to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. When somebody gets saved, the Bible says, if thou shalt believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. Salvation takes place inside our lives, in the heart. Nobody can see that. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it, the Bible says. But when somebody gets saved, the way that they publicly confess or profess is with the mouth, confession is made, and they identified publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ with his teachings in believer's baptism. So if you're here this morning, look, we're glad that you're saved. I pray that you do know Christ as your Savior. But in order to follow God in, in obedience and to do what God would have you to do and have God bless your life, the next step in your life is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. See, I find here that as Peter was being stubborn, that he was not being obedient, and Jesus reminds him, and by the way, he's reminding us that unless a man is willing to submit, that's, that's the key right there. See, us guys, we like that verse, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. We love that verse. Can I tell you that the Word of God teaches all of us should be willing to submit to the Lord? See, don't go pounding your wife if you're not submitting yourself to the Lord. And the Bible tells us, as Jesus is mentioning here, that we have to be willing to submit to the commandments of the Lord. And if we're not willing to submit ourselves to the commandments of the Lord, then guess what happens is that you and I will not have proper fellowship with the Lord. Are you listening this morning? See, listen... It wasn't about the washing of the feet. See, people want to make that the issue. The issue was, is that Peter wasn't willing to do what the Lord wanted him to do. And I think about how many times, here's what we do, is we pick and choose what we want to obey in the Word of God and what we don't want to obey in the Word of God. People, people try to say to me all the time, well, pastor, show me that in the Bible. Listen, if I have to show you then I'd say there's a problem right there. Because most of those people that say, show me, they already know that it's in there. You see, we want to be blessed, but we pick and choose. And Jesus says, look at it in verse number nine. He says, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet and my, my hands and my head. He says, he, Jesus said, if I wash thee not, Thou hast no part. In other words, you're not going to have the proper fellowship with me. See, obedience to the Lord, it's proof that we love the Lord. And I see that there was a stubbornness there in Peter's uh, life and in his heart. But then I do see the submission because in verse number 9, when Peter hears that gentle rebuke that, look, Peter, if you don't let me do this, then you're not going to have any part with me. When Peter hears that 
gentle rebuke. In other words, Peter gets to the place where he says, well, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, don't stop there. I mean, wash my head and wash my hands. Matter of fact, just give me a whole bath, Lord. That's what he's saying. Now, again, this gets into something here because Peter has this attitude now of surrender. It, it, it took him getting past this stubbornness. And God wants us to get to the place where we're looking to him and his will for everything. And, and so I see that, that as a humble servant, that he has a word for Simon. But then notice, he also has a word for all saints. Because remember, Peter wasn't the only one that was there. There were 12 of them, right? So in that instance, yeah, he was addressing Peter because Peter was the one that says, you're never going to wash my feet, Lord. So Jesus had a word for Simon. But then notice what he says for all saints, for all those that were there. Look at verse number 10. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Now, Jesus tells Peter that when a man, get a hold of this now, when a man or a woman, when they have washed their entire body, okay, when they've taken a bath, and then they get their feet dirty from walking maybe on the dusty roads, that they don't have to take an entire bath again. They just need to wash their feet. Are you with me? Because when you study this out, and he uses the word wash, okay, there's two words that are used. The first word is the word luo, which that word actually talks about washing the entire person, taking a bath. But then the second word that he uses is the word nito, and that's just washing one part of your body. You know, sometimes what we do, you know, I might go outside and I might... Uh, work in the yard, or I might check the oil in my car, and I get dirty hands. I don't come in and take an entire shower. I just get out some soap or something and wash my hands. Are you with me? So Jesus says, look, he says, if, you, if you've been clean, in other words, if you've taken an entire bath, if your whole person has been washed, and your feet get dirty from walking, how many of you know that if you live in this world as a child of God, that you're going to be walking through dirt and filth of sin every day to get dirty, right? And so understand that what Jesus is saying to all saints here is, is that there's a point in our lives, the image is very clear, that when we receive Christ as our Savior, as our personal Savior, that Jesus has forever washed us from our sins. How many of you would agree with that today? How about what the book of Revelation says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. See, we have been eternally cleansed from head to toe uh, in this matter of salvation through his cleansing blood. But as we walk through life, we tend to fall into sin and we need cleansing, but not the entire. Look, we don't have to be saved again. You only get saved one time. But understand that as we live in it, by the way, that's why God put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. Because if we confess our sin, that's written to Christians, people who have lived in this world. And he, Jesus is trying to help us understand here that what we need when sin comes into our lives is we need cleansing from that particular stain. 
that sin that we have, we have entered in in our daily walk. Look what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. And by the way, as we read these verses, 1 John chapter 1 and the entire book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John are written to Christians, to believers. And notice what it says. If we, as child of God, walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Were you like me growing up that maybe some foul emission came out of your mouth one time and your mom got some soap and helped clean your mouth out? Anybody else ever had that happen? Can I tell you, it didn't clean my mouth. As far as what would come out of it, it did clean up the mouth a little bit. It was nasty. But when I think about this life that God, look, God wants us to live a life that's pleasing to him. Jesus said, if you've been saved, here he is with his disciples. He says, if you've been saved, if you've been washed in the blood of the lamb, in other words, if you've put your faith in me, he says, look, when you go out and you get maybe some dirt on you and maybe something happens in your life and it has brought a little bit of stain, he says, you don't need to be washed completely again. He says, you just need to be washed from whatever that is. There needs to be a, a short account that's kept with God. And we need to confess those sins. See, the secret to true spiritual joy is the practice of instant confession of sin. We need to be confessing our sins, going to the throne of God's grace. Listen to what the psalmist said. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. I mean, the psalmist said, think about that. I confess my sin to God, and what did he do? He forgave us the iniquity of my sin. It is impossible for us to hide our condition from an all-seeing God. Jesus knew everything about them. He knows who we are today. He knows whether we're saved or not. You cannot fool God. Remember what Jesus said? He says, listen, there are some here today that are clean, he says, but there are some that are not. You see, in a crowd this size, chances are there's probably someone here today that's without Christ. And he says, you need to be cleansed. And can I tell you, being a member of a church, having, having your life lived in a certain way, you see, the only way that you can be cleansed is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus gave his life. And he has a word as... As a humble servant, he has a word for Simon. Simon, if you don't let me do this, he says, you're not going to have any part with me. But then he also tells him, hey, listen, this is for everyone, that all have sinned, and that Jesus has cleansed us from our sins. But then notice, before he ends, I see the humble servant's wisdom. Look in verse number 12, what the Bible says here. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done to you. So notice wisely, Jesus gave us and them an example. He shows his followers that we are all expected to serve one another. All right? Serve one another. The Bible says in Luke 22 that there was strife among them, talking about his disciples. And notice what the argument was over. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Can I tell you who the greatest was not? Muhammad Ali. He said it all of his life. You know, he floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee, but without the Lord, he's in a Christless eternity today. Can I tell you that there was this, among Christians, among his disciples, among his followers, hey, listen, I'm the greatest. No, 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 you're not. I am. No, no, I'm one of the sons of thunder. I am. I mean, there was this constant arguing and bickering going on. Why would Jesus take the time the night before he would go through all of that he went through for the sins of the world with these disciples of his to help them understand, he's reminding them that they need to understand one thing about their life, and that is that just like he came not to be ministered unto, but he came to minister, that they too should spend the rest of their life serving others. Look what the Bible says in Mark 10. Jesus called them to him, and he said unto them, Ye know that ye, were, ye are accounted to rule over Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon, upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Did you see what Jesus said? He says, look, you want to be great? He says, get you a towel. Get down on your knees. Wash someone's feet. Serve other people. See, look, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to come in and sit down and somebody, look, I know what it's like when we go into a restaurant, right? I can't believe they didn't fill up my glass yet. I can't believe that they didn't bring my dessert first. I mean, what are they thinking about? The Lord might come back. I would always get my dessert first, you know? We get so upset when somebody isn't serving us. When's the last time you served someone else? You see, Jesus is giving them an example. He's giving us an example. He's telling us that the path to greatness, it's through humility. Jesus is teaching this lesson that the way to be great is to become a servant to others. Our Lord was willing to make himself the servant of all. And as a result of that, God highly exalted him. God raised his son up. He's given him a name that's above every name. Jesus gave us an example that we are to follow his example. And it's not so that we can be great and we can be noticed and we can be something big in this world, but that we can be a servant that we can help other people come to know him. See, he gives us an example, but then notice Jesus gave us an exhortation. Look at verse 16. He says here, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Did you notice that? Jesus was the sent one. He says, I'm not even greater than my father. You see the humility there? That if Jesus was willing to be a servant, then his followers should be willing to serve. 
Jesus didn't serve the ones that he preferred. Now get this. What did Peter do when Jesus was on trials? Anybody remember? Can you hear the rooster? Jesus saw Peter, and because he was God, he knew that Peter denied him, and yet Jesus served him. What about Thomas? Remember when Jesus had been risen, and he comes and he shows himself to ten of them, because Judas is gone, and Thomas isn't there. Thomas shows up. They said, boy, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus was here. Remember what Thomas said? Except I see. How do we know Thomas? We oftentimes know him as doubting Thomas, and yet Jesus served Thomas. How about Judas? The one that would betray him. See, Jesus didn't just serve those that he preferred. He served everyone. Jesus didn't allow any of the considerations of those people to cloud his, his judgment or his love or his service. He treated all people equally. Didn't matter who they were. I love our church. You know why? Because when you come to our church, there are people from everywhere. All walks of life. Can I tell you that's what heaven's going to be like someday? Because the Bible says every tongue, every kindred, Every tribe, every nation. You see, we live in a world that is still prejudiced. There are people today that still suffer under that burden because someone's skin is different, that they're different from you, that you're better than they are. Listen, that stinks in the nostrils of God. Understand that Jesus loves everyone. He treats everyone the same. <laughs> the true servant is not someone that's allowed to pick their favorites when somebody would come into their house, they couldn't say to them, hey, I'll wash your feet, but I'm not going to wash his feet. No, a servant washed the feet of everyone that came into the home. We have to have the heart of Christ and be willing to serve, listen, even if it were our enemies. Look at the Bible says in Matthew 5 in your notes. Ye have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Look at the words, be ye therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know what the word perfect there means? Mature. Serving everyone. Not preferring some over others. What an example that Jesus gives. And can we honestly say today that just like Jesus that we would serve anyone and everyone? Because he gives us an exhortation. But then notice, wisely, Jesus gives us an expectation. Look at verse 17, the last verse, the one we read together as we started this morning. And I want you to look at it and read it with me. Verse 17, here we go. If you know these things, 
Happy are ye if ye do them. Let's read it together. Here we go. If ye know these things. Yeah, now how many of you have been sitting here now for about 35 minutes and you're like, Pastor, you just set us up. You're going to ask me to wash someone's feet, aren't you? If that's what it takes to be like Jesus, yes. You know, there's many ways to serve others. Many ways. And when I see this expectation, the, the word happy, look at it again. If you know these things, happy. Does anybody know there's a synonym in the Bible for the word happy? Anybody know what it is? Blessed. See, if you're happy, you're blessed. I love happy people. If you're not a happy person, don't come around me. I love happy people. But do you know people that are blessed are happy? If you're blessed of God, and by the way, if you're here today and you're breathing, you're blessed of God. You might say, well, pastor, you don't know what's not in my bank account. doesn't matter. If you're here today and you have God, you have everything. You're blessed. And blessed people are happy people. Jesus says here that when we take his example as he did to his disciples and we put it into action, we can be assured of the Lord's blessings in our lives. Why do we find it so difficult to serve other people? Jesus didn't find it difficult. Matter of fact, it was very natural for Jesus. I mean, it was as natural for Jesus to serve others as it is to breathe to you and me. The Bible says in Philippians 2, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. You know what that means? Get your eyes off yourself. There are people around you that have needs greater than your own, and we need to reach the place where we're more concerned about promoting our brothers than we are ourselves. I mean, look, I know that even in my own life that I have a long way to go in this area, that I have a lot of work to do, but can I tell you that it's so important that we see this matter of serving others with humility the way Jesus did. As I was thinking about this passage, and, and it, it revolves around this matter of baptizing, you know, washing the feet. And again, people don't understand many times. I just want to be biblically correct. And a lot of times people think that maybe this matter of baptizing the way we do is something that maybe we've created in this century that we live in. But I want you to see a couple pictures here that, that, that God brought me to this week. Put one of those pictures up there. This is the entrance into an area where many believe that this was where they would go in the southern wall of the old city of Jerusalem. And as they would go through these entrances, here's what they would find. Put that next picture up there. That's a baptistry. This is in Jerusalem. These are called mikvahs. And many people believe that when on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter number 2 in our Bible, when 3,000 people got saved, that they, would, they went to this area and that the people went down into the water and they went under the water and they came up out of the water. Now, because they were scripturally baptized, that doesn't mean they were saved in that baptism because there's no saving power in that water. Just like when Jesus 
when he washed their feet. There's no saving power in that water that Jesus put in that basin. But understand, as we think about this, that what these people that did this were doing was they were putting their faith, they were identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of this passage in John 13 was that Jesus said, when you do something like this to others, you're identifying with me. You're being just like me. The story here is meant to be a picture of of not necessarily washing of the feet or baptizing. It's a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. The disciples didn't really understand it. The picture here of, of the cleansing that his death can provide when a person comes to Jesus and they have his blood wash away the dirt of the sin in their lives. Somebody said one time that it's like coming to Christ is like taking a shower, but it's taking a shower on the inside. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There are some here today that need to take a shower on the inside. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Well, how did he do that? The Bible says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Again, the songwriter had it right. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Another song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, loose all their guilty stains. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you're here this morning and you need the Lord's cleansing in your life, I'm not talking about taking a bath this morning. I'm talking about Jesus washing you from your sins. That is possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, why don't you come this morning? Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in the one who gave his life that you can have eternal life someday. You see, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put off the Lord any longer. If you need to be 